Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Hello and thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Dr. Wendy Sweet and I'm so excited. I cannot tell you how excited I am because she actually has a PhD in women's health and aging and she specializes in menopause and particularly sleep and weight gain and all that kind of thing in menopause. So welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much for joining me. You're very welcome, Karen. And uh, it's, it's it's a pleasure to be here. For your yeah. listeners. So I was put on to you by a friend who was on the podcast a few months ago, Mariah Ryder, who just, she gave the most fabulous information about menopause. And then she mm. connected the two of us. And when I went to look at your stuff, I just went, oh my goodness, I've been looking for this because you specialize in sleep. I've said to so many health professionals you know, they say the three pillars of health are exercise, eating well, and sleep. And my yeah. question is, okay, so what do you do during menopause? And they all go, why? What happens during menopause? Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't sleep for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> you got the 10 years to right. <laughs> <laughs> so Funny that, yes. So tell me exactly what you do and what how you got into it. Tell me a bit of the background, first of all. Well, I didn't start out, thank you, Karen, I didn't start out getting into menopause. I started out, my background originally was nursing, and then I retrained, and I've had a big part to do with the New Zealand fitness industry. And as part of that, I have had a lot to do with setting up the personal training industry here in New Zealand. But moving on from from that part of my, you know, from my life course, I ended up in the university and teaching around nutrition and sport and exercise science, physiology, my background is physiology. And as part of that, I did my, originally did my master's degree in lifestyle behavior change because I was interested in that from the perspective of the fitness industry and personal training and then as part of that journey I was very interested in the fact that our generation and by our generation I mean women between the ages of 45 and 65 who if you think about it we have pioneered the fitness industry, we have pioneered the changing physical landscape with sports and exercise. You know, our mothers didn't go to the gym and they didn't do all this exercise and and all sorts of things. So I became very intrigued in that part of the life course. So I was attending some education conferences in America a few years ago, and I was quite intrigued because there was a presentation by a researcher who said, gosh, I don't know what's going on, but women over the the age of 50 to um, 55 are the highest number to join our gyms. This is a women's health club, a chain throughout America and Canada, 10,000 health clubs. And then she paused and she said, but they're also the first to leave. 
And I had been attending the fabulous uh, Professor Wendy Robertson over there in Australia and had been attending a session through, well, I was presenting at the World Health Organization Conference on Health and Aging in Melbourne a number of years ago. And it wasn't long after I had been in America and heard this comment from the lady. And then Professor Robertson, who's run the Australian uh, Longitudinal Women's Health Studies for, year, for th over 30 years, she made the same comment. She said, I don't know what's going on with physical activity. So it wasn't about the gym. It was just physical activity per se. And she said, I don't know what's going on, but women in their early 50s are the highest cohort to get out of physical activity. And I thought, wow, I've heard this in America. And now I'm hearing this here in Australia. And so I was busy thinking about that and going, well, why? Because we are the generation, and I was in my 50s at the time, and we are the generation who know that we need to exercise. We've come through the Jane Fonda and the Jazzercise and, and everything else, and we've been pretty well-versed on health promotion and, and staying physically active. And, of course, I've come through the fitness industry and we've had all of that change and so I came back here to New Zealand and I was talking to my supervisor, who wasn't my supervisor then, and I said, I've heard this very interesting comment from researchers in America and in Australia about women in their 50s who are the highest cohort to get out of physical activity. And he said, that would be a great topic for your PhD. And I thought, you know, he's right. He said, so why don't you go out and find a cohort of women between the ages of 50 and 60? And he said, because a lot of the research around health and ageing and exercise has been done in the over 65 population. And then, of course, a lot of the sport and exercise science information has been done on the 18 to 25, 30 population. So really there wasn't a lot of interest in in us and our generation and, and we, we've I've called us invisible because we've been forgotten about so I went out and I spoke to women the length of New Zealand and I I talked to them about what they were doing with their exercise so I didn't start out even thinking about menopause although I was in menopause myself and, and really struggling with a lot of my own symptoms so as part of that a lot of these women had positioned their healthy aging in doing lots of exercise. So they were doing a lot of the types of exercise that are conversant in the, in the fitness arena. So a lot of CrossFit and high intensity and really positioning healthy aging in all this exercise. And then when I said, well, how is this going for you? And I said that to every single one of them. And they all said, well, I don't feel very healthy. I, in fact, I'm thinking of giving up my exercise because it's not working for me. And then I explored that and I said, well, what's not working? And they would say, well, I'm not losing weight. That was always the first thing. They'd position doing lots of exercise with weight um, problems. And then they would say things like, and I have sore joints and my muscles really ache and I'm not sleeping. And, and I, my hot flushes are worse and, you know, on and on it went. And I was sitting there as a, as an academic interviewer going, thinking, you know, I couldn't say anything and bias the interviews. And I thought, wow, that's me. 
I totally feel like that too. I'm doing the exercise that I've done for years. I was going to classes and run, trying to run and do all these things. And then as I arrived in my late 40s and 50s, my weight went up hugely. I put on 15 to 20 kilos. I was still exercising. I had really sore joints hobbling when I got out of bed, hot flushes. I was be lecturing at the university in the middle of winter and just, you know, hot flushes. And that started me really starting to think about the physiology of it. I still hadn't connected menopause with this particular, with all these symptoms. And not one of these women mentioned that term menopause. But as I started to, in fact, I was doing a lecture one day on, you wouldn't believe this, but it was serendipitous because it was about female athletes and hyperthermia, which is, of course, overheating. And I was talking about the hormonal system and I was talking about the role of estrogen. And at the time I was talking, I had, you know, rivulets of sweat going down my back and my face was completely hot and everything. And afterwards I thought, oh my goodness, this overheating and this hot flush and sweating I'm doing is my body trying to cool down. Sweating is your natural mechanism to cooling down. So I was starting to kind of consider my own situation from a physiological perspective. But then because I was doing my PhD on women's health and aging, I also had my head in the research. And the research was showing that midlife, so any time from 45 to 60, is a very vulnerable time for women in terms of accumulating inflammation as they age, as they reach their 60s and get over, you know, 65. And of course, we've all seen our mother's generation with problems with function and and with joint problems and heart disease and all of these things. So I was slowly piecing together a lot of the research around health and ageing not healthy aging, but health and aging. And then, of course, looking at this period of time from 45 to 60, which, of course, is where we're going into a changing hormonal environment. And even the perspective of joint health, I was busy lecturing a sports medicine paper on the role of estrogen in young female athletes and how the highest injury that they have is knee problems and patella problems at the stage of their menstrual cycle when estrogen is really low. And so I had my head in this information that I was talking about the 18 to 25 population from a sport and exercise physiology perspective. But I thought, wow, that's really interesting because every single one of these women spoke about sore knees and joint problems at a time when their estrogen is very low. So there were a number of kind of light bulb moments that I went through and I thought, wow, whenever I go to my doctor, I was always running to my doctor and whilst she was prescribing HRT and talking about antidepressants and all that, all these things, we the medicine has become very isolated in terms of not looking at the body as a whole. And what I started to understand was that there's been this huge emphasis on supplements and medications for menopause it's become very medicalized and very pharmaceuticalized 
but it's actually a natural stage of life that every single woman on the planet goes through. And I started to become interested in women from other countries and other geographical locations who didn't experience the symptoms that we were having, particularly around sleep. So that's kind of a the foundation of how I ended up in this space around menopause and postmenopause. For example, in Australia, New Zealand, the UK and Canada, women's heart disease and heart health is the number one healthy health issue as we get into our 60s. And yet it's not being addressed when it comes to exercise and when it comes to understanding nutrition and and how to look after ourselves. So positioning menopause in ageing and understanding that as we are coming through menopause, it is the biological gateway to our ageing. And therefore, we need to be looking at it from the perspective of the changes that are going on as we age. And it was only 100 years ago that the average life expectancy of women was 65 years old. So they didn't have to worry about menopause. But of course, now, you know, thanks to modern medicine and public health, we're now living for another 30 years and women live longer than men. So if we're not getting it right and if we're not focusing on what's going on in menopause, then that's the slippery slope further down the track, as our mother's generation have found. One of the really interesting things that I cottoned onto on your website was you said that menopause is the other end of puberty. And that's Mm. what I've been saying for a while. To me, they're bookends. And we know so much about puberty. It's an open topic for discussion. Guys understand it. Women understand it. We all know Mm. what goes on through Mm. puberty. Mm. But menopause is still not a common subject. It's still Mm. almost a taboo subject. It's not Mm. something Mm. to talk about. And yet it is that other end of the scale that we need Mm. to take into account. And what happens? We're not aware. Um, Mm. It's not public knowledge to know what happens. Mm. And, And to me, I wonder where I was going with this was, I have wondered how many of our symptoms are related because we go in, oh, my God, why is this happening? Oh, my God, mm. I feel like this. Oh, my God. And we're getting stressed mm. out about mm. it, which increases mm. anxiety. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, you're right. We've been forgotten about. And we've been forgotten about if you think about the, the last 30 years of knowledge and education. There's been a huge emphasis on understanding the older baby boomers who are now in their 70s and 80s, and that's where a lot of research has gone in terms of the baby boomers. And then certainly in the domain of exercise and sports science and nutrition, it was only in 1995 and the early 2000s that the very first degrees in sports and exercise science and nutrition came um, on board. So there's been, there hasn't been the research on our generation, on on women in their, you know, 50s. And of course, from the perspective of the younger generation, a lot of the research has been been undertaken on the 18 to 35 market. And you could also say the same for men. I mean, I've just... I've just positioned myself in women's, the women's transition through menopause and my expertise in that area. However, 
it would be the same for men of the same age as well, 50 to, to 65. They've been a bit forgotten about as well. And I think, too, because of the health problems that do arrive at this stage of life, it's been, again, very medicalised. And I use that term too, the bookend. It's the bookend to puberty. And once I realised that, my anxiety kind of went out the door because I thought, wow, this is this is a natural life event. And through puberty, I mean, we all got a bit grumpy now and again and, and <laughs> slammed a few doors and, you know, yell at the your brothers and sisters and, and mum and dad and everything else. And I started to also understand that if you think about the fact that we've, uh, I'm talking about women in their 50s and, and early 60s, I'm in my early 60s. And if by approaching arriving in menopause in the context of the life course that was what I did with my research and you can see that over the past since puberty we are the first generation of women to come through so much change and so much societal change around our food around exercise and the choices with with exercise around the the rise in um, like the contraceptive pill only came online in the 1950s you know and so by the time we were late teens and in our early 20s the contraceptive pill had been normalized so many of us have been messing up our hormones for years then of course we've got the fact that women were out working because of economic need so we are so different from our mother's generation and as part of that, there has been a lot of change that we've had to cope with, not only in the home, but in the workplace and within the community. And as part of that change, our brains can't keep up. When you think of us as a species on the planet, then change occurs very, very, very slowly over thousands of years. But from the time that we've gone from our 20s, Right through to now, if you're in menopause and you're in your or perimenopause, which starts in your late 40s, if you're in that time of your life, you've had the most extraordinary amount of change over the past 20, 30 years. And if you've had a number of pregnancies, then your body has had to undergo a lot of change in that time as well. And so as we as we arrive in our 50s, there's uh, in our late 40s and 50s, our body is trying to age it's trying to go through the next transition into our third age but there's so much still going on in our lives that we often and change that has occurred with inflammation occurring in the body so from a physiological perspective we're the first generation to have so much processed food. We're the first generation to have so much, you know, I, I, not so much sugar and flour because that was post-World War II, but in terms of the emphasis on sports supplements and sports drinks and the type of food that we eat, there's never been so much confusion around food. There's women now on keto and paleo and all sorts of things, but the only diet that's, rec that's evidenced for women as they age, and remember menopause is our entry to our ageing, is the Mediterranean diet. So a lot of women are confused about what to do because of the influences 
that have arrived in society from the fitness industry, from the sports industry, from the dieting industry. We're the first generation to come through Jenny Craig and the Weight Watchers. They weren't around in our mother's generation. So there's been a lot of change. And I talk about that in the masterclass on menopause because that's my two hour event that I was taking around Australia and the UK and New Zealand before the world went crazy. So that's online now, but I talk more about that. I know we don't have time to go into that today, but I show women the change throughout our lifetime. So we arrive in our 50s and our brains are still young. We still feel like we're 35, 40, but we must remember that inside our body, There are changes going on because our estrogen and progesterone and our master hormones are declining. And you talked about sleep. Well, one of the first changes is the change with our sleep hormones. But melatonin isn't the problem. The problem is our master hormones, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And these are trying to decline as part of our aging because we've finished our reproductive years and it doesn't matter whether women have had children or can't have children or chosen not to have children. That's immaterial. We all have the same biology, unless you're in surgical menopause, but, you know, just kind of generalizing. So there is this gradual decline in estrogen, progesterone and the two master hormones in the pituitary gland because we're actually going back in time. We're going back to pre-pubertal levels of hormones. And we still have some of those hormones, but we don't have as much because our reproductive years are over. So that's what I became very curious about was, well, what happens from a physiology perspective? And then how can I marry up the, the changing physiology with lifestyle change, with nutrition, with exercise? And fortunately, Hormonal health research has been really progressing in the last few years, but it's not about the hormones. It's actually about aging and what the changes that occur in our body when our reproductive hormones change. And one of the most influential changes that that occurs is actually to our blood vessels. Our blood vessels become less dilated and lose their elasticity is why we get all the wrinkles and and things because those in our skin and and also in our lymphatic uh, vessels and the liver changes, the gut changes. So that's what I've done. The muscles change and estrogen has a role to play in joint health. And for example, it keeps the, the joints lubricated. So if women are having sore joints, as I did, that lubrication has decreased. But there's a compound in extra virgin olive oil that takes over the role of estrogen, which is why the Mediterranean diet and the Mediterranean studies have looked at the role of or have the highest populations of healthy, of people aging well. Yeah. So that's what I've done. I've pulled from a number of disciplines to explore, well, how should we be moving through menopause? And let's forget about the past. Let's forget about what we were doing back then when we did have estrogen and progesterone and reproductive hormones. And let's actually untangle all these symptoms that are occurring. So that's what I've done. (laughs) Hundreds and hundreds of hours. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, there's about ten 
went. And but, but I had to go off. I know. But I was doing it for me. Well, I realised that nobody was looking at menopause holistically. Nobody was looking at menopause in terms of all these other symptoms and nobody was taking a whole body approach to it. And nobody was understanding that the most powerful changes as we come through into perimenopause. So there's three phases. It does go on for eight to 10 years. Perimenopause, when your periods start changing. Menopause, when your periods stop. And you go into postmenopause when your periods have stopped for a year or more. So those three phases are really crucial to women to understand how to look after themselves a bit differently and how to look after themselves differently from their family. You know, and I think that that's what I struggled with, with having young athletes in the house and, and a rugby player. And, you know, so you're constantly feeding them, putting food on the table that doesn't actually suit you. Having personally done a lot of exercise my whole life and then go into the gym and going, I'm exhausted when I've been on done my usual step class or my pump class or mm. I can't do them anymore. Mm. Is, I mean, I've kind of moved because I used to be a synchronised swimmer, so I've discovered mm. Pilates and that's mm. the closest thing you can get to mm. throw on dry line. So I'm quite happy. But then I go... Mm. Oh my god! I'm not getting my cardio in. I should get on the cross train. Of well, course. you need to you need to go back into the pool, or go and swim. You're there in the on the Gold Coast, so swimming is absolutely wonderful. And all of the women's health studies show that we must be aerobically fit. And it's very interesting because I was just talking about this the other day, and I've got a a couple of programs, my menopause transformation, and. I have a coaching, I've got thousands of women in my coaching groups and I was talking, I'm always talking about aerobic fitness and I have a lot of personal trainers and instructors who are teaching Pilates and yoga and I say, but those are strength-based activity. Where are you getting your cardio from? And this is part of what I'm saying. The physical landscape has changed so much I was part of that through the Les Mills group here in New Zealand, pioneering the the body pump and and all of those types of activities, which were absolutely wonderful. But they weren't designed for women in menopause, I can tell you that now. And then the the whole CrossFit mantra, which is very athletic. So there's still a lot of confusion about the type of exercise to do. But part of the work that I've done and the studies that I've really been undertaking when I was setting up my programs was to really look at cardiac health. And that's that's kind of been the forgotten factor in our health as we as we come through menopause. And you as you said, you've done a lot of classes, but if you think about those classes, they're very short, sharp, intense classes. You kind of whiz in and you whiz out again. And then you've discovered Pilates and yoga, which are wonderful because we do need to stay strong and we need to look after our our functional ability. But again, because of the loss of elasticity in the blood vessels and the lymphatic vessels, that's called, it's known as vascular stiffness. It's a very well-recognized condition in the medical terminology, but to improve vascular, to improve vascular stiffness and to improve your lymphatic um, drainage, you've got to do aerobic activity as well and, and some endurance activity. So that's what we have to focus on as well. 
And I think too, just going back to, I haven't spoken about sleep yet, but just going back to the fact that you said that you were always going to the gym. So, and you live in Australia. So environment matters to how we are aging and we are designed to be outside. Our body, our body's physiology is designed to be outside, getting natural light in our eyes because we want to, we need to sleep and we've got to keep that circadian rhythm going. As I did and lots of women do, they get up in the morning and they go to the gym or they go to the gym later in the day. And so we've moved towards exercising inside as well. And, and that's been a bit of a problem. So I'm always encouraging women to get out and walk and hike and, and uh, swim, do some swimming. Not sleeping. It has an impact, mm. does it? It, it? it has a huge impact because our sleep is controlled by a, our tiny little pineal gland in our, in our brain. It sits behind the eyes. Our circadian rhythm I'm referring to, the 24-hour day-night cycle. I think a lot of women now know the circadian rhythm, but if they don't, then that's we are designed physiologically and we've to work on this 12-hour on and 12-hour off circadian cycle. And as part of that, we need to, to, to reset that circadian cycle. We need to get natural light in our eyes in the morning. And as I used to say in my seminars, you know, especially in Australia, I, I would say, well, how many of you are out walking with your sunglasses on and every hand in the room would shoot up because it's bright in the morning over there. But by putting your sunglasses on, you're actually not getting that cut off of that. That's the way that the pineal gland resets that circadian clock by allowing natural light in the eyes, even on a cloudy day. So it's really important that in the morning to reset melatonin, which is your sleep hormone, that you get some natural light in your eyes for about 15, 20 minutes. And of course, that has changed for a lot of women because they're rushing out the door and going to work and wearing sunglasses in the car and then they, they go to work and they sit in an office all day. And I get that all the time, particularly with ladies on my program from the United Kingdom, and because they work in offices and they live in the city, they might live in London, and they, they're hardly outside. So they're actually not getting that natural light in their eyes. And then, of course, conversely, the opposite to that, what you want to do in the evening is have your melatonin rise as high as possible. And to do that, you need to be in dim light. And we all live in houses now that are well lit. We're in summer here or just the, the end of summer. We're into autumn here in New Zealand and Australia and daylight savings, which is not conducive to a good night's sleep. <laughs> so I've untangled all of the things around our sleep processes and the fact that we need to focus on our circadian rhythm. I've written about that. So if women are interested, there's a blog, there's numerous um, articles about that on the Mind Menopause Transformation website. And as part of that, we often don't understand that between six o'clock and nine o'clock at night, that's when our blood pressure is at its highest and our body temperature is at its highest. So a lot of women, they arrived home from work, they're cooking dinner, they've got things going on in the home, they've got yelling at the kids or whatever and rushing around. And they're going, why do I feel so hot? Particularly the women who are overweight. 
the bigger, larger ladies who are overweight, and they must understand that between six o'clock and nine o'clock at night, their blood pressure is high, their temperature regulation is high, and they need to be doing things, drinking more cold water. The minute you have a wine, then that puts your temperature up as well. So there's things, there's actually there's practical things that we can be doing to enable us to sleep. And I think most of us know about technology, just wearing low blue light glasses and all of those practical things that are really helpful. And I've done a lot of research about the foods that are heat generating foods that we shouldn't be having at night and that actually increase insulin because insulin interferes with melatonin. Anyway, I haven't got time to go into that, but it's one of the secrets on my program. (laughs) The woman go, oh my God, I can sleep. (laughs) because they've changed their food at night because they're one of the one of the things I get them and you'll relate to this being from Australia is to stop eating huge amounts of um, protein at night protein is thermogenic that's the term given to the energy that protein produces which is heat generation generating so the term thermogenic means heat generating And that term, when you look at protein from that perspective, which I was doing as part of my sport and exercise physiology and nutrition, then you understand that that one of the problems we have from a cultural perspective is the fact that we're all eating as if we're working on the land and having these enormous meals at night which they don't do in the Mediterranean countries. They don't do in countries that that have most of their food, the bulk of their food in the middle of the day. And you know that when you go to Europe and everything's closed for two hours because they have their food in the middle of the day. So it's really fascinating when you look at how we live our lives from a societal and cultural perspective and how that is impacting on menopause and our symptoms and then of course our health as we age Mm. what causes the weight gain during menopause because your body just seems to Mm. change overnight on what you used to be able to eat and I'm talking about my my own personal experience here Mm. and me too yeah you can't digest it it sits Mm. in your stomach like a lump of lead and you start Mm. putting on weight what's all that about Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.